Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. From now until September, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of Abe Books by interviewing sellers who joined us in 1996, the first year of our existence. Today, we're speaking to Jenny and Patrick Callahar from Elwood, Indiana. They jointly run the Story Shop account on Abe Books. They offer used and rare books in all categories of fiction and non-fiction. And they began bookselling as long ago as 1966 and went online in 1995. Jenny and Patrick previously owned bookshops in Michigan and Ohio. In addition, Jenny is the author of 14 books and has been published in several anthologies in literary journals. She's also the editor of the Last Stanza Poetry Journal, and they're both active in the poetry community of Indiana. Today, we're going to learn about their bookselling business and hear about their adventures in books and literature. So, welcome Jenny and Patrick. Thank you very much. Uh, we've been looking forward to this interview too, so uh, we're uh, excited to see how it goes. Brilliant. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, all right, let's start right at the beginning. Um, how did you become booksellers? Well, uh, I started uh, going uh, to auctions with uh, some neighbors of uh, a childhood friend, and uh, they were fanatic auction goers. And every weekend of my life, we would go to three, four, five auctions on a weekend all over southern Michigan and northern Indiana and uh, northern Ohio. And uh, I always was hunting books, and uh, that's the, how I got my start. I was, in those days, I was a, the only person under about 25 at the auctions ever, and some of the auctioneers wouldn't even take my bids, and the people I went with had to bid for me, but uh, soon they all got to know me. You were only 11. So. I was only 11 years old uh, too when they when I started with that and did that uh, with them uh, every weekend uh, till I graduated high school. So uh, there were hundreds and hundreds of auctions that I went to and started buying books at the auctions. Right, and we you so you were you you focused on books straight away. Yes. Uh, bought other stuff uh, too, other antiques, but uh, but the main focus was definitely books right from the start. And uh, of course, in those days, uh, quite often at especially at farm auctions, the books would all be loaded on a wagon, and it would be one single bid. They just sell everything that was. Uh, printed uh, from ephemera to books to anything uh, in one deal. And uh, I was uh, not surprisingly 11 years old, only looking for certain kinds of things, uh, but I would get everything. And then uh, there would be a lot that I wouldn't be interested in. And I would start uh, selling to other people and people would then say, I'm looking for uh, this or this or this, and uh, 
if you ever get any, uh, we'd be interested in buying, and I would get their names and numbers, and that's how I started uh, book dealing. And then you opened a shop in 1970 when you were 18, right? Yeah, and then uh, when the uh, age of majority was changed from 21 to 18, that very year was the year I turned 18. And so I was one of the first 18-year-olds uh, in the state of Michigan to uh, apply for a uh, business uh, license and uh, have a, a regular official uh, bank account for a business. So, so Patrick, you were committed to books and book selling from a very early age, it sounds like. Yes, yes, uh, totally, yes. And we um, quasi knew each other before we actually met. My mother was an antique collector, and so we were often at the same auction. And sometimes my mother was a competing bidder for the same books. Um, so they were sort of frenemies yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and when he opened a shop after he was in the Army for many years, he opened a shop in 1987. And I took my mother, and she volunteered to help him get books on shelves. So I would go to college, drop her off, pick her up when I was done. And that's how Pat and I got familiar with each other. And um, when we were going to get married, she was kind of upset that I was marrying a dealer because dealers were the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> right. We persevered. We've been married how many years? 32 years now. So. Yeah. So, so I had bookstores prior to uh, going in the Army and then – uh, started back up with it after uh, after getting out of the uh, army. I uh, volunteered for the uh, infantry and I spent uh, four years in the infantry. And then when I came back, I uh, started back with the books. Not that you weren't a maniac while you were in yeah. the army. Yes, I was <laughs> one of the <laughs> biggest purchases I ever made uh, when I was on terminal leave, uh, I saved, I'd saved up leave, and rather than get out early, I stayed in and took terminal leave in uh, Egypt. And uh, so uh, I was in Egypt, and I was in Egypt for a month before I visited the pyramids uh, or the uh, Egyptian museum or any of those uh, things. Uh, the first month was spent in the, uh, with the street vendors and the flea markets and uh, the old bookstores in Egypt. And right. I bought several thousand books in Egypt and uh, shipped them back to the US. And I figured, well, they'll go by ship and I'll be back in the U.S. long before the book's there. And I didn't have a permanent address because I'd been in the Army. So I sent them all to my parents. And I didn't tell them that I figured I'd be back in the U.S. long before the books. But I, I had a, a contact in the U.S. Embassy and got them sent through the U.S. mail. And I was expecting them to go by ship because that's all I was paying for, regular book rate which was super cheap then, like 25 cents a pound, only they sent them with all the diplomatic stuff. 
in a military airplane. So the books were back way before I was, and box after box after box was showing up in my parents' house from Egypt, and they had no clue except they knew me, and they figured out, and finally they were delivering them at the door, and the post office said, uh, we're not going to deliver them anymore. You gotta, there's box after box in the post office. You have to go pick them up. And this is all before I was back in the U.S. or my parents knew anything about it, except that uh, it, it must be somehow coming from me and they must be huge, heavy boxes of books. So wow. that was, <laughs> and I will tell I've you about story. the rarities we found uh, there in, in Egypt too. So. I've heard this story before where uh, I interviewed a bookseller years ago who had done the same in Germany. He'd been serving on an American air base over there. And on his weekends, he would go around the German cities, again, looking at the uh, the bookstores and the flea markets and then packaging it up and sending it home. And that collection became the basis of his bookselling business when he left the services. And, and I'm guessing all of those boxes you shipped home became the basis of your your next bookstore. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then when I was in Germany for four years, I did the same thing too. And uh, some of the uh, earliest uh, books uh, that, uh, that we've had over the years came from uh, Germany, uh, uh, 1507, uh, uh, History of Noah by Polycarp, uh, bound in parchment. Was, uh, I got in Germany, and uh, the first English edition of Treasure of the Sierra Madre by B. Traven I, I got in uh, Germany, and a lot of other neat stuff too. So everywhere I've been, uh, I've uh, accumulated a, <laughs> a trail of books. Uh, right. So Jenny, when did you become involved in the business? Well, like I said, I was um, familiar with the, the world of antiques through my mother, who was a collector, and she would study the antique papers at night, like Antique Week and Antique Trader, and uh, books were not her primary area of interest, but I'd always been a big reader and writer, and I was going to college, and that's when um, I said we got, we got together through my mother working for him in his shop. And she quit at Christmas time, and I went back, and I was on the newspaper. I was advertising um, manager, got him to take out an ad in the paper, and this led to to kind of dates until they turned into real dates. So um, that's how I got involved in the business. I had not planned to have anything to do with the whole book world until, you know, getting together with Pat. I was going to either do advertising or creative writing, music. And we had a shop in Jackson, Michigan, right on uh, Michigan Avenue um, from 1987 until 1991. I was a proofreader for a living during that period, um, working with manuscripts. And we decided that business was not good enough, really, in Jackson. 
And we moved to Athens, Ohio in 1991 and opened a bookshop three blocks from the campus of Ohio University, where we had all the college kids and the professors. But what we also had there was all the professors' libraries <laughs> that right. would head our way. And no dealer really had been in town for a while. So we grew quickly to 100,000 books um, in that shop. So I was really kind of glorified secretary for a long time, but I've learned and learned and learned from Pat over the years. And I've taught myself a lot on the computer. So I handle now the online sales at the computer and Pat does book restoration, repairs, handles all the the shelving and the, you know, the dealing with the rear books. Um, so we're a good team. We've been doing this, you know, since 1995 and hopefully can keep doing it. So you were one of the, the first sellers to join Ape Books, and I believe it was in June 1996. Um, can you remember what online book selling was like in those early days? Well, it started with something called Interlock, which was the precursor to a Libris. Mm -hmm. And you paid by the minute when you were online. So if someone had a request or you wanted to sell something, you did it as quickly as possible. And you got <laughs> offline as quickly yes. as you could. We, we literally uh, took notes, had everything set, and had a stopwatch and uh the instant okay we're going online now uh hit the stopwatch and kept check of how long we were online and how quickly we could uh, do whatever we needed to do online and get off because that's the way it uh, was charged so that, I think that lasted about a year and then um book tracker which is a book selling program. Uh, we got that and then we looked into ABE from from that point. So it, it was slow internet connections and yeah. everything was, you know, so primitive back then. And of course, way fewer listings. So you relied heavily on your want lists to find things for customers and notifications if anybody listed what you were looking for and then of course you had to compete to be sure you were the first one to call the dealer that had listed it so um i never envisioned a world where there would be i don't know billions of listings to choose from now it's just incredible um, it used to be you well, would get Bookman's Weekly. Yeah, that's I was, that's what I was going to bring it up. I, I came from the era of uh, Bookman's Weekly where the whole process was exactly the opposite. Nobody listed. Well, you could list stuff and some would list stuff and I very occasionally would list stuff for sale. But primarily it was just 100 pages of a double column list of uh, abbreviated titles and authors that people were uh, looking, other dealers yeah. looking for. And then I always would have like a, a file card full of postcards 
and send out postcards uh, quoting what books I had. And so it was a process of hours a day, every day, uh, going through those lists and having uh, a real good memory for what you had and circling the ones that you had and <laughs> finding them quote. on the shelves and then making out a postcard and uh, sending the information to a specific so dealer. So let's just say ABE so books was, was a game changer. Yeah, for, absolutely. For Even everyone. in its primitive form. And it was, uh, as far as we can remember, it was the uh, creator of Book Tracker who we uh, met personally. Uh, he was going all over the country talking to, he himself talking to people directly, and he told us of the various uh, sites that were selling. Right. So that's Andy, that was, isn't it? Andy yeah, from Book Tracker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andy, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So all of these years, oh goodness now, so that's 25 years, um, 26 if you include your first year when you were with the other guys. Um, what are your outstanding memories then? You, you must have sold some remarkable books and you must have met some very special people along the way. Uh, yes, uh, uh, we uh, got to be uh, good friends with Daniel Keyes, the author of Flowers for Algernon and right. a number of other uh, science fiction books and then uh, true crime books, uh, a lot of really interesting books. And at that time, he was teaching at Ohio University, and he came in uh, looking for his own books, uh, which turned out to be a repetition of uh, many authors we've uh, met either just online or actually known looking for their own books because everybody that knows them thinks, well, I'll just get their books from them. And so he uh, would give away his author copies. Then he'd have to get uh, another copy for himself. And then someone would want it and he'd give it away. So he had kept having to buy his, his own books uh, from us and from other book dealers because people were constantly thinking uh, that uh, somehow he should be obligated to uh, give them copies of his books if they knew him. So uh, that's how we got to know him. And wow. uh, then uh, other authors that came to town because there was an active uh, uh, visiting writer program at Ohio University. Uh, so and festivals and, for and authors, festivals, yeah. and so we we got to meet quite a, a number that way in Athens, and then since we've been in Indi Indiana, uh, and uh, Jenny and I both uh, do readings. Uh, she's had uh, been the featured poet at some readings. Uh, I haven't, but there's open mic readings, and we do a lot of those. So. We've met a lot of uh, local authors and some other uh, ones from around the country, too. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of Janet Kaufman, uh, but when she taught uh, at uh, uh, Jackson Community College, uh, we uh, took a, a course, a writing course with her and Jenny when she'd had other courses and she's quite a noted uh, author and quite won quite a few prizes. And uh, so that was, uh, uh, she was a significant person in both our lives. 
So, so Jenny, you're an author. Can you tell us um, about some about the books that you write? Well, um, my first novel, I started when we had the bookshop in Ohio. When we were there, we were a fostering site for the local cat shelter. So they would bring us cats to try to get adopted. So we would do that. We did that for several years, and we got 50 cats, new homes over the years. They weren't in cages. They were just wandering. People could get to know the cats and then through the shelter adopt them. So I thought that was a wonderful idea to relieve the shelters. So I wrote a novel based on this experience to try to encourage other businesses to be fostering sites. And that turned into a three-book series. I'm writing the fourth book now, set in a used and rare bookshop, um, loosely based on our experiences in Ohio. And I have um, a teen fantasy set right here locally in central Indiana. I have four romance novels set in the antique world that also involve books. The first one is on... Uh, how found letters at an auction influenced um, the first mystery. And then I have um, journals, 100-year-old journals kept by a traveling musician that were found. And then the third book is involves coding written inside the front of a book collection and so on and so forth. The fourth one involves a found letter and photo proving that John Dillinger lived way beyond when he was supposedly murdered in 34, that he went on to have a wife and children, and that living relatives are still around the area. So I try to integrate what I'm familiar with and interested in, the antiques and the books and um, found items that you would get in auctions. and. Right. And other books I have are just collections. I was a humor columnist for Tales Magazine for several years. So I was, uh, I compiled a few collections of those um, columns that were humorous animal columns. And so I've done a lot of um, publishing for other authors in the state and even as far away as England. And I'm trying to develop the, the publishing company more now. Right. So that first book, Jenny, y- you must know very well that used bookshops and cats go go together very well. <laughs> yes. We generally had three or four cats uh, up for adoption as well as our own cat uh, in the store. And some were the same one time, cats. They were for adoption. Yeah, yeah we... Yeah, uh, yeah, and some were were both. Uh, we adopted some of them ourselves uh, as well, but uh, we got over enthusiastic. And one time, we had twelve cats uh, plus our own uh, in there, and that was too much. So we said uh, we won't send any back to the shelter. But as they're adopted, we got to say no for a while because. Uh, right. it, it, it got to be uh, all kinds of problems when there were that it was we had uh, quite a large square footage, uh, 10,000 square feet. But still, it was 
way too many <laughs> cats uh, for and all running loose uh, all the time. So, did anyone ever come in for a book and walk out with a cat? No, yes. No, you had well, to. Well, you, you had, had to, to go through a process, but I mean that was uh, uh, most of the cases of how they got adopted. They came right. in for a book and they chose a cat and they applied and they were looked into and then they got the cat. So they didn't walk directly out. They had to go through a adoption. Then it fell Yeah. But uh, for all practical purposes, yeah, they came in for a book and left with a cat. Lovely. Um, so it sounds like you, you're both active in poetry, community poetry. Um, what does that involve in, in your part of the woods in, in Indiana? Um, well, I'm real uh, active with the Poetry Society of Indiana. I was the treasurer for four years, and I've stayed their publisher. Um, they, they had not put out a collection for at least 25 years before I came along. And so now there is an annual anthology. I think there's been six of them and I published a youth anthology and I have I founded and I helm last stands of poetry association we're now in our 10th year that's here in Elwood and that's from whence the journal sprang and we go to other readings in the state um I I'm looking for ways to encourage young people, but since the pandemic kind of shut all things school related down, I haven't been active with that. But I do want to find more ways to encourage the next generation of writers. Right. I've always thought that haikus, because it's so short, and <laughs> um, poetry slam events are a good way to encourage young people into into poetry to get up yep. and stand in front of a mic and say something yeah i love the poetry slams uh but uh and jenny is a joiner and organizer so she was in the poetry society of indiana but i steadfastly refused to join <laughs> so, uh but uh yeah i i like uh the slams uh, and it is a good way and uh, definitely need to encourage younger people uh, to get involved because the, the groups uh, tend to be uh, older uh, from 50 to 80 and there's not enough uh, new writing and, and uh, new people getting involved. Well, don't forget what else you do to encourage the love of poetry, Patrick. Okay. Well, so you, you annually dress as Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yes. And give a reading of The Raven in a used bookshop in uh, uh, down in Zionsville. Yeah, so usually on um, the death uh, date of Edgar Allan Poe, or the closest available date to that. Uh, and uh, then uh, always give some preliminary uh, information about Poe, then do the reading, and then have a uh, question and uh, answer uh, session uh, afterwards about uh, Edgar Allan Poe or uh, his writings. Uh, and he looked scarily like Poe when he's all dressed <laughs> up. So he's the expert. It's, it 
drugs. <laughs> Pretty big crowd here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's surprise. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a small shop, and they borrow chairs from all the other businesses. And several times, they've had to uh, run out and find more chairs, and or had them chairs. standing in the back or standing uh, out the door, and so on. So it went from the first year, uh, maybe. Uh, a dozen people to 50, 60 people in uh, in later years, uh, and uh, believe me, that was absolutely all that could be squeezed <laughs> into that bookstore. Do you stay in character when you answer the questions? Uh, no, <laughs> not totally, because they're uh, they're questions that aren't necessarily what you would ask of Edgar Allan Poe, but just about him, uh, but uh, uh, I, I kind of do. I st still in the, the entire uh, outfit and all. At, uh, uh, and people have asked some very bizarre questions, like what was his shoe size and uh, uh, stuff like that, we, too. We won't but discuss uh, how I dress up as so, a raven. Oh, yeah, in one year for a reading. Uh, at a not that uh, bookstore, but a different place. Jenny uh, dressed up as a raven, and uh, it uh, the a picture was taken and put online, and it went uh, viral. There was interest worldwide, uh, not so much in my costume, but in Jenny's. Well, uh, is it? It's people. A couple yeah, 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 but but uh, most of the comments uh, from all over the world were on Jenny's uh, costume, dressed up as a raven, as a wow. punk rock raven. Punk rock raven. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Goodness. When I was doing my intro, I said adventures in books and literature, and boy, I wasn't kidding there. You have had, well, you've done some remarkable things all over the world. Um, yeah. What does the future hold for you now, for you both? I don't see us retiring ever, so hopefully just continued good book sales so that we can keep, you know, writing on the side when we're not doing the book selling, traveling, looking at book collections, hitting the flea markets and the auctions, just having and a more, good time. And more publishing, industry. more publishing. More too. publishing. Um, more book writing. I'm currently writing a novel, another one set in the bookshop world, and more encouraging of writing, more encouraging of reading, um, more preservation. As Pat's so good at book restoration, it's it's really he has bookshops that use him as their restorer. So. We just uh, respect for books of all ages and creating new ones and encouraging writers, publishing writers, and that's that's a good life. It is. Many paths there. So, Patrick, you're a restorer as well. You can restore books. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, we. Uh, I always... Uh, keep forgetting to do before and after pictures. And uh, we've got a lot of before and after, but- There uh, are photos on our Facebook. Yeah, there are photos of some of them, but some of them I go at the end, 
my God, this turned out nice. I wish I'd taken pictures of what it looked like before, ones that are just all falling apart and uh, the uh, the signatures uh, coming apart at the, the hinges where I have to take them totally apart, re-hinge uh, the... Uh, the folios, the the individual pages, uh, fix this, re-sew them on a sewing frame, and uh, re recase, rebind all of that. Uh, so yeah, some of them have been really uh, extensive, but we uh, always I got into that because even a book in horrible shape, I couldn't bear to see it just be uh, lost. Yeah, especially if it was uh, an important book, important topic or whatever. So I would do everything I could to uh, to preserve it. Wow, that's quite a skill. Um, okay. Uh, our last question, which uh, I need both of you to answer. But what book or books are you currently reading? I can start. Um I was one of the judges of a National Book Award, and that took up six months of this year, reading whole novels for a National Book Award. I'm reading all the poems that I get submitted for the journal. I read other poetry, and I read a ton of romances because I am also a romance writer. I read juveniles because I am also a juvenile author. And I'm in the bad habits of when I'm listing a book, I have to read <laughs> a page or two, you know, to get a general idea. So I do a lot of hit or miss, but um, it's all pleasure reading. So did you read the entire long list or short list for the National Book Awards, a particular category for poetry I, or something? Each judge is assigned a certain number of them. And you don't read all of them. You read a subcategory. Right. And then they take the highest and lowest scores uh, and drop those. And then they're judged by the the average of the middle scores. So it's, it's very long, involved, complex, but really enjoyable to be a part of that. And what are you reading, Pat? Uh, I've been reading all the time also. And I usually have anywhere from 10 to 20 books going at the same time. And I read uh, a lot of dictionaries and bibliographies as just fun reading. So I'm always uh, reading uh, something along those lines. But uh, my uh, interest in writing is very wide, but I especially am interested and uh, symbolism and data and surrealism. So I'm usually uh, also reading uh, something along those lines. And uh, the ones that I'm currently reading, uh, the whole book is one called uh, A Case of Possession by K.J. Charles. It's uh, a series of uh, combined uh, romance, mystery, and adventure that and fantasy, and fantasy that Jenny uh, found and corresponds with the writer. And uh, uh, so I'm reading that too. Uh, and then uh, reading uh, 
The Great Enigma by Thomas Tronstromer. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2011 and probably the poet that most influences me. I, re I read it over and over and I read little bits of it every single day, seven days a week. And uh, I'm reading a, a critical study of uh, Jules uh, Lefort and the Ironic Inheritance. And Jules Lefort was a contemporary of uh, Marla May uh, and uh, 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 Arthur Rambeau and uh, Charles uh, Charles Baudelaire. Uh, and he so he's part of the French symbolist movement and very influential with the surrealist and Dada poets. You know what we didn't mention? That you had a book-based radio talk show. Oh, yeah. For years, I uh, had a radio talk Tell show, us. which was uh, answering uh, people would call in uh, book-related uh, questions. On, uh, again, everything imaginable, and there's no way you could prepare for it. So uh, it was really difficult to do. Uh, what sort of questions, all, Patrick? Like how much is my old book worth or what book yes. should I read? Yes, those questions and general uh, just general literature questions. Uh, it might be a question on uh, French symbolism or James Wickham Riley or uh, uh, adventure Andrew. novels. What are good adventure novels? Just everything uh imaginable uh so it was incredibly wide-ranging and then also i i forgot uh i was one of the on-camera uh commentators uh and experts on uh james wickham riley it was called james wickham riley who's your poet and it was uh, on pbs and won quite a few awards. It won a regional Emmy for a documentary. And uh, uh, I, I knew a lot about him, and I was contacted to be one of the uh, on-camera commentators to talk about uh, Riley's uh, life uh, and uh, his writing and so on. Wow, all of these, all of these adventures. Um, we could probably go on for hours, but. That's all we have time for today. So I want to say a big thank you to Jenny and Patrick Callahar for joining us today. And more importantly, I just want to say also thank you for selling on Ape Books for 25 years. We really do appreciate the fact that you've, that you've stayed with us for that long. So thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it's been uh, fun talking with you. Thank you. So that's Jenny and Patrick Callahar who run the Story Shop uh, book selling account on Abe Books. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast and we'll see you all again soon.